This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. This is big news in London, Ontario for anybody who follows the OHL, follows the London Knights, heads to Budweiser Gardens to catch a game every once in a while. Because this year, you're going to be able to see a guy who was once taken first overall in the OHL priority selection. He's one of the most skilled players in the OHL. And you could count a few more of those guys outside of Ryan Merkley. But this guy, he's top echelon. He's elite. The concern has been a maturity level in the past. We have seen the Guelph Storm part ways with him. We've seen the Peterborough Peets part ways with him. Now he winds up in London at the age of 19. But he brings that skill. And he brings the knowledge that in a year he could be playing in the National Hockey League. Shortly after the trade became official this morning, we had an opportunity to speak with London Knights General Manager Mark Hunter and ask him a number of different things, including this. We asked him, Mark, Ryan Merkley, member of the London Knights, how does that sound? Mark, Ryan Merkley is now a member of the London Knights. How does that sound to you? That sounds, it sounds pretty nice. To, uh, you know, we bring a top-end player in here and... Uh, you know, it creates uh, a, a team that we give a little more skill in the back end, a little more age on the back end, which is important. Uh, we were pretty young in the back end. We had to create, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of experience. And, you know, oh, experience means in hockey you need to be, go through some of the things that uh, when you become a hockey player that that you need to know that it's tough out there where it's it's not all sunshine to read four checks and I think Ryan Merkley does a good job of reading four checks, breaking the puck out of her own end. And of course we all know he's an offensive defenseman and, and the and the job of our coaches is to, you know, work on his two way game. Anybody you talk to who's ever played for Dale Hunter will say, you know, I came in and let's say they were an offensive player period, whether it's defenseman or forward. I came in and I was all set to just play the way I'd been playing, and then I realized, you know, if if I want to get to that next level, it's not always just about offense. It is about that complete game. Is that something that he's interested in in really kind of focusing on this year? Yeah, I, I really believe that. I think he knows, you know, what part of his game he has to work on um, and be coached, and I think that... Uh, you know, Dale and, and the coaching staff of Dylan and Ricky, uh, you know, put him in a good position to be successful. You know what? If he plays a, which I think I know he's capable of doing, is a t- good two-way offensive game, but uh, and look after his own end. We can win hockey games, and uh, you know what? Uh, uh, we we got a history here of, of winning, and we want to continue that. Mark Hunter, Knights general manager, joining us. Mark, there have been people who have questioned maybe some of the things that Ryan Merkley has said to teammates or or whatever. How much do you look at that, and, and how do you deal with that? You know what? You hope in age when people get a little older, and uh, uh, um, he's 19 now, so I think he's grown up more now. When you're 16, you sometimes you do things that you shouldn't do, and I'm sure he has done some things he regretted. But you know what? That's one thing we don't look back. It's what how he how he looks after himself here and how he treats people. And, and you know what, there's, there's you know, two th- things that you always worry. He's got to be a good teammate and he has to be coached. And them two things are very important to his success and to our success. So it's important that we push that. And I, and I talked to him and uh, he, he's completely on board. How quickly do you put him into the lineup? Does it happen as early as tonight? 
It sounds like he's in tonight, uh, unless the flights or something are screwed up uh, that he can't get back here. But uh, he's supposed to be back here tonight and dressing and ready to go. When you have a veteran coming in like Ryan Merkley, I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we got a lot of systems to learn if you're dealing with a young guy, but a guy as skilled as Merkley, a guy who's been through a lot of systems, does it make it easier for him to maybe just jump right in? Yeah, I, 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 he can adapt now. I mean, he's been up with uh, San Jose and Pete DeBoer and uh, and playing with older players, so he, he'll be schooled more now on systems and, and – uh, um, how to play. So I, I'm not worried about that. I just worry about, you know, the jet lag and, you know, the wear and tear of that travel coming in and uh, playing uh, tonight. But, you know, he's older and uh, I'm, I'm sure he can handle it. A lot of times guys get real excited. I mean, you've been through trades before. As soon as you arrive at that new team, is there any question? You know, well, you know, maybe I'll sit it out for a little while. Give me a couple of weeks. It's not like that as a player, is it? No, it isn't. Like, you want to get going. You want to show how good you are. And, I mean, he's a, you know, in the expectations, he's a star player and he's got to go out and show it on a regular basis. And, I mean, we've had over the years and you have great players like Marner and them. Every time they step on the ice, they want to be the best on the ice. And, and Ryan Merkley's the same way. That is Mark Hunter, Knights general manager. So, yeah, you want to show. And he has a lot of maybe detractors to prove wrong. You love people in those situations. And you look, the London Knights gave up two draft picks to get Ryan Merkley. It's one of those potentially feel-good stories in sports. This is a guy who all of a sudden you want to root for. You want to see him do well, especially now if you're a Knights fan and he's skating in green and gold. There are a lot of cyclists who felt that London Police Services was kind of out of line in what they did. They actually had an intersection safety blitz. It was actually known as an intersection safety enforcement blitz. And details came out about that and the type of tickets that they handed out. They were looking at cyclists, pedestrians, drivers. And we want to take some time and digest this. And the best way to do it is to get someone who is way more in the know than I am. Please welcome to London Live the Deputy Chief with London Police Services, Trish McIntyre. Deputy Chief McIntyre, thank you for being here, number one. How's Friday going? Excellent. Thanks very much. You have created an awful lot of great discussion already based on the statistics that you have put out following this blitz. Can we maybe even do some research right now just to get our heads around the blitz and what it was designed to look for and do yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, it was a five-day traffic initiative that ran. And again, the whole premise of it was all about education, road safety for everyone using the road. And the everyone piece uh, was obviously initially kind of perceived to be directed at cyclists, but it was everyone. It was motorists, pedestrians, and cyclists. It's about road design. It was always a partnership. This whole initiative was partnered with the city on vision their whole uh, Vision Zero premise, and it is about design and construction and how do we do things better. So that was the high-level overview uh, in the mission, essentially, of the Blitz. And again, at the end of the day, it's that education and enforcement will save lives. That's the driver. And when we look as, 
as drivers, things, especially in the downtown core, have become a whole lot trickier. If you look at those designated bike lanes or just bike lanes in particular, you've got bikes now that could be coming up at a pretty high rate of speed if you're making a turn. You've got pedestrians. You've got other drivers. So this is becoming complex. Should this have us as drivers saying, OK, wait a minute, I got to I got to remind myself of the old rules of the road here? Yeah, absolutely. And you see those drastic changes made downtown and that, you know, hence then the adoption of Vision Zero, which was a global initiative, right, that the city looked at, okay, what has been done in other areas of the world for traffic safety measures? And absolutely, the timing was critical because you can see all those changes downtown, especially try to transverse King Street and so many spots now where you're no longer able to turn right on a red light if you're a motorist. And so what does that mean? The angles are different, right? As you're entering into the intersection, you're, you're kind of making sweeping turns to avoid the bike lanes now with the barriers. So it was a time to basically say, okay, let's hit the pause button. Let's run a campaign to educate, to right, to enforce these rules, just to give an additional awareness as a prevention model. But you're right, so many changes in the downtown. It's complicated with the bike lanes and the bus, right, bus meetings now. Uh, in the downtown core. So it's all about that education and slowing down. I think motorists, one of the big takeaways, and I experience this every day driving in, is you have to slow down. Uh, they reduce speeds. I think moving that zigzag in around King forces you again to slow down, to be mindful. Those addition, the additional signage at signalized intersections about what are the rules at that intersection, really alerting the public to say, okay, what has changed? Are the rules still the same here at this? We're all habitual drivers to some degree, right? It's that complacency piece that gets us into trouble. So it really is that pause and a reset, if you will. Yeah, it's a great point. Takes some time to process now. We're talking with Deputy Chief Trish McIntyre with London Police Services, and we're talking about the Blitz. Is is that what you guys call it, the Blitz or a Blitz? Is that, Am I using yeah, that did. word? Yeah, that's well, how it was termed, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. the Blitz that went on, and as Deputy Chief McIntyre pointed out, this was to educate, and at the same time, sometimes education does take citation, and if we look, pedestrians receive citations, cyclists receive citations, drivers did receive citations in all of this. Cyclists themselves, we can focus in on them, and cyclists, if you're listening, just hear me out, let's just, let's just wait a second. <laughs> a lot of you have been very vocal that you felt you were targeted over this. Deputy Chief McIntyre, maybe we can address that cyclists feeling that they were targeted. Yeah, and it, you know, it's so interesting because uh, obviously that was not the intention, uh, but it was their perception. And so I think when that happens, it's up to us to clarify and to communicate out what the true intention was. And again, you know, and I've said it already, but it is that global who is using the roadway. Uh, it's motorists, it's pedestrians, and it's cyclists. And can we educate uh, and enforce laws, but out of a premise of safety? So it was never targeted at cyclists. We do, we'll often have blitzes, which are about heavy motor vehicles, or we'll just to driving or community safety zones and you'll see what we're targeting in those this was road safety at a high level um, and it was all we, we went back to kind of the stats to say you know okay at the end of the day what's the why in this and we know over the last five years and I quoted some statistics through the chair at the recent board meeting but it was about uh, 371 pedestrian collisions 193 cyclist collisions have been recorded at near signalized intersections in London. And so that's in the last five years. That's significant. And so in 2016 alone, uh, 15 pedestrians and four cyclists had died 
Um, so since that time, not in 2016, rather, since that time. So that's significant. And it just is a marker to say, okay, are we safe? Are we paying attention? And can we run an initiative to really just to highlight those concerns and to hopefully, at the end of the day, prevent an injury? Right. That was the whole premise. So I love the feedback from the cyclists and I would never um, discourage that. They were, yes, they were vocal. Uh, and I love that. Like, and, and we heard you. And I think it's always uh, it's great to see that perspective and it's uh, to learn that and to change how we do things moving forward. So love the feedback. Uh, it was negative. Uh, they were uh, obviously on the defensive there, but maybe misinformed. And so the whole purpose of, of course, this conversation and, and the reason why I felt compelled to speak through the chair at the board meeting was just to clarify that. But yeah, I love their feedback and it, we didn't feel offended by it. It helps us always stay on our toes and do business better, right? Right. Deputy Chief Trish McIntyre with London Police Services. As a final thing, what do you draw out of the statistics that you got or what you see from that blitz? The takeaway for me uh, was really education-driven, like enforcement plus education, but the warnings were significant. So yes, there was, uh, you know, 14 pedestrians, 9 cyclists, 97 motorists, uh, you know, tickets were issued. But on the warning side, uh, we see 99 drivers were issued a warning. Uh, 8 pedestrians were warned. 17 other cyclists were warned. So it is motorist-heavy is a takeaway, not a cyclist-heavy. Uh, motorist-heavy, and it was education-focused. Uh, it's not about a stat. It's not, you know, we, I can quote the stats for you, but it is outcomes you know, at the end of the day, we're focused on outcomes, not outputs. Outputs is a ticket, uh, but outcomes. Are we making things safer? Are we educating? And I think the stats are reflective of that. Deputy Chief McIntyre, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Deputy Chief Trish McIntyre with London Police Services. So how great is that? The idea that, yeah, they welcome the feedback. You want to be angry? Be angry. Be passionate. Say this is how we feel, because then you can examine what is being said and maybe make changes. Right now, we get an opportunity to honor a Londoner who sadly has passed away and is being honored a long way away from London, Ontario. Let's get the story for you. Andrew Holland joins us right now. Andrew, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Well, Andrew, we're going to be talking about James Duncan, and we're going to be talking about the unveiling of the James Duncan Trail. Uh, maybe you can help us to paint a picture of, of James, who he was, and how he has a connection now to a place far away from London, Ontario. Sure thing. James Duncan lived in London, worked in London, coached minor hockey in London, sadly passed away at the young age of, of 54, unexpectedly uh, in his sleep. And uh, professionally, he was a, a, a strong uh, champion for conservation. He led the Nature Conservancy of Canada's work in the province of Ontario, and um, he was the vice president of our operations. Uh, he protected, he raised money to protect a lot of natural sites and make them into conservation areas throughout the province. And so to uh, recognize him, uh, we are planting the Nature Conservancy of Canada 23 trees in different locations of Ontario to commemorate his 23 years of service with the organization. 
Isn't that incredible? You're, you're talking about someone who had an amazing impact. And when you, when you say raised money, the total is pretty staggering. Yeah, he would have raised money to buy lands for conservation or have them donated for conservation because, as you know, you have to, it's like man owning a home. You have to pay the property taxes. You have to upkeep these lands and manage and care for them. And the, the trail system that's going to be named in his honor is between Thunder Bay and Duluth, Minnesota. And it's right along Lake Superior and it's going to be, uh, unveiled tomorrow with family members at 10 a.m., and it has a, a fascinating story behind it. Okay, well, let's let's kind of look at 23 trees that, that are being planted, you say, around the province. Where exactly around the province are they going to be placed? Just different nature reserves from the Kingston region to the GTA to this place here in tomorrow, which is... Uh, um, between Thunder Bay and Minnesota in a place called Niebing Township. The project is, is Big Trout Bay, and an American owned that land that's right along Lake Superior and had the green light to develop that property into 300 cottage lots. And James raised money both here in Canada and the United States, $8.7 million U.S., to buy that property to uh, ensure that it's protected for Ontario and for Canada. And that was the last un- undeveloped piece of shoreline on Lake Superior between Thunder Bay and Minnesota. And by preserving it, it, it means that it's there forever, uh, unspoiled, untouched. And that is where this trail system is going, with cliffs and a beautiful beach and a gift to the community. That's amazing. It is called James Duncan Trail in honor of Londoner James Duncan. We're talking with Andrew Holland right now on London Live on 980 CFPL. Andrew is with the Nature Conservancy of Canada. What was it about James that made him as passionate as he was about this? Well, he he was uh, just like a great big teddy bear. He was a hell of a storyteller. He could talk a starving dog off a meat truck. He was really friendly. He, you know, he was close to the land, but he had great people skills. And he had the ability to walk into people's homes and talk to people at a personal level and see if they wanted to donate land or sell it in memory of loved ones and, and conserve areas where there's species at risk or species that are endangered. He just had that disarming feature of being able to relate to to folks and encourage them to donate or sell their lands and and leave a legacy because Ontario isn't making more land, neither is Canada. So we need to protect a little bit more of what we have. And he just had that ability to relate to people and talk to them about, you know, maybe wanting to donate or sell their lands so that it's protected in a way that these families and their children and grandchildren will always remember it. You know what I mean? So it'll be preserved forever in a, in a manner that respects those families and the way they had it. Because in some, some of these cases, Mike, these properties were owned by families for 80, 100 years, and it's been in their families. So it means a lot to them that it'll be conserved. Yeah, and that that's something that is interesting that we don't get a chance to talk about a lot. And since he was someone who really championed that during his life, when when you approach somebody about donating their lands, what's the reception that you tend to get? 
Well, it's mixed. I mean, some people have different um, aspirations for their property. Sometimes they, they don't want to sell or donate it, but give it to their children and grandchildren. And James and others with the Nature Conservancy of Canada in our London office say that's fine. You can keep the land, but sign a, a legal agreement, an easement, to ensure that the lands will be protected forever so that you can hand it down to your kids or your grandkids, but it won't be subdivided or drained or developed or logged or harvested in any way. But a lot of people want to donate lands because they don't know what to do with them, and then you get tax breaks from that. So let's say if you, Mike, wanted to donate a, a wetland property or a piece of coastline that may be in your family, uh, you would get a charitable tax receipt for the appraised value of that land from the Nature Conservancy of Canada. But you also get a second tax break from the federal government, and this is, has existed since the mid-90s, and it's called the Ecological Gifts Program. And so if you donate a minimum of 20% of the land value, you get what's called a capital gains tax exemption that you or a business, let's say if it's a business that's donating a woodlot, let's say, you can use that capital gains tax break over a 10-year period. So there's there's certain tax incentives around donating land. So that's a, a an incentive certainly to to do that but but people generally may, it helps them feel good that they know that by donating the lands it can help mitigate the impacts of climate change which a lot of people are talking about today because wetlands help absorb water slow the flow of water they protect our communities from roads and bridges being washed out to damage to businesses and people's private properties um, trees help absorb carbon so there's a lot of reasons why people would consider donating land. Well, the James Duncan Trail will be unveiled and in honor of James Duncan, a Londoner who did an awful lot for the Nature Conservancy of Canada. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. Take care. That is Andrew Holland from the Nature Conservancy of Canada. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.